Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Welcome everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, anywhere you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the news making interviews with your favorite rock and metal artists. Good to have you tuned in or subscribed or downloaded or However you connect with the show, stream it, whatever you do, thank you for checking out the podcast. And as I tell you each and every week, every single thing you hear besides this open, actually, originated in this podcast on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and is heard live Monday through Friday. New time of 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific, new channel, Sirius XM Faction Talk and that would be channel 103 on your Sirius XM dials. Hope you join me for the radio show if you're in the U.S. or Canada. If you're only listening to this podcast, you're only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of what I do five days a week live on the radio. There's also a sixth radio show on Sirius XM live on Mondays, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern time on channel 39, Trunk Nation on Hair Nation, and a syndicated FM show for you to check out. So a lot of things to connect with, but please come on board and join me every day for Rock Talk if you are in the U.S. and Canada and you are not already a SiriusXM subscriber. Only listening to the podcast gets you only a tiny, tiny piece of what I do every day on the radio. So uh, now that that's taken care of, as I tell you every week, the origins of the podcast and the origins of the interviews you hear on the on here a few other quick notes i want to remind you that well if you are a serious xm subscriber next week some great stuff coming from los angeles i'll be attending the do premiere at man's chinese next tuesday which i am in and honored to be a part of also a re-release of the anvil documentary which is next thursday in la at the saban theater and you can listen to me doing radio shows throughout the week next week from the Sirius XM studios in LA and uh, covering that world for you over the course of next week. You can always connect with me on social media at Eddie trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and of course the Facebook page. 
So those are the different ways to connect on social media and stay in touch with everything I have going on. Appearances, the 24th of this month, September, I'll be at Rep's Place, which is in Rolling Meadows, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. I'll be there on Saturday for their outdoor tailgate party. Some great tribute bands playing, including a UFO tribute. Should be a lot of fun. I'll see you at Rep's Place, Rolling Meadows, Illinois, on Saturday, the 24th of September. That is the next scheduled appearance. Coming up in October, 80s in the Sand, which is happening in beautiful Cancun. And a lot of great rock bands on there, including The Cult and Living Color and Loverboy and many more. I look forward to seeing you there if you happen to be attending. So let me uh, get to our interview on this week's podcast. And it is, speaking of Sirius XM, a big special that I did with Megadeth. This was done in LA at the Sirius XM space called The Garage. And it featured five songs performed live by Megadeth, as well as conversation with all four members of the band. Dirk Verburen, Kiko Loriero, James Lomenzo, and of course, Dave Mustaine. When I always tell you on this podcast, you're only getting a fraction of what I do on the radio. Well, I will be totally honest with you. Uh, here on the podcast this week, you are only getting a part of the entire special that I did with Megadeth because for the radio subscribers and for those that can access this interview on the SiriusXM app, if you're a subscriber, you can hear all five songs performed live, four classics and one new one. Of course, on the podcast, we're not able to bring you music, so the performances had to be stripped out. So just another example of why, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, I hope you come on board for the radio show. We had to take the music out of this for publishing reasons, but all of the content in terms of the interview will be in here. But I will also tell you, if you have SiriusXM and you go to the app, this entire interview and the live performances were captured in multicam pro shot HD video, and that's all up on the app for you to check out as well. So giving you a taste of this, giving you the interview content from the big Megadeth special in LA a month ago, but unfortunately can't bring you the music. And if you'd like to see the visual, it's all on the SiriusXM app for subscribers. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. The new Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying, The Dead, entered at number three on the Billboard charts. Dave Mustaine celebrating a birthday the other day. Had a chance since we did this interview to see these guys play at Rocklahoma as well. They seem to be in fine form and sounding good and doing well and seem to be happy, which is certainly a great thing. So without further ado, I take you to a Trunk Nation special from the SiriusXM studios in Los Angeles, the members of Megadeth discussing their new album and a whole lot more. Happy to bring you most of this or some of this as this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of Trunk Nation here from Los Angeles from the SiriusXM garage. As, uh, as you can hear, we have a fantastic studio audience here. And they've all gathered to listen to Megadeth both perform live for us and also answer some questions. They've, uh, the band's got a brand new record called The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead that is out this Friday. You're going to get a song from that record as well as some classics in the live performances. And we're going to talk to the guys and let some of the audience that has joined us here in the studio also 
uh, ask some questions, which I have on cards and that I will read to them. But let me introduce the guys to get us started. And uh, well, I'll start with from my left right around, returning to Megadeth on bass guitar, Mr. James Lomenzo. Good to see you, James. Hey, good to see you, my friend. The man himself right next to James in the center, Mr. Dave Mustaine. Good to see you, Dave. Guitarist Kiko Loriero. Kiko, good to see you. And on the end, holding down the drums, Dirk Verburen. What's up, Dirk? So, Dave, congratulations on the record. It sounds incredible. I've had a chance to listen to it, and uh, it's vicious, man. <laughs> it is vicious. You know, I was thinking about this. A lot of bands, especially metal bands, as they get older, tend to, I don't know, dial it back a little bit, maybe go for the commercial ring a little bit more. You went all out on this record, man. It's an amazing record. Can you talk a little bit about your approach when you started writing this record and making this record, and if that was something that was calculated or it's just the way it came out? Sure. Thank you guys for being here, and uh, thank you for your questions in advance. <clears throat> um, I appreciate you saying it's vicious because while we were doing this, there was a lot of uh, emotional um, lightning going through the studio, through the performers, and you know we had issues with me getting and beating cancer, and and then um, <laughs> lineup stuff, and and then the pandemic, and all of the uh, stuff happening with the you know the the world basically shutting down. Every time we would have something that we needed to get shipped to us, you know, some solid state issue, something that had any kind of a chip or a, a circuitry board, it was it was not coming. You know, it's sitting out in the fucking Long Beach port forever, you know? So it took us, uh, <clears throat> it took us a long time to make this record. And, and I think part of that was uh, the inspiration. Um, the, the angst I had for, like, come on, man. Let these guys open the port up. Let the friggin' boats come in. Get this going. You know, on the outside looking in, I'm no genius, but I could see the solution to this is pretty easy. Let them in, right? <laughs> and and then, uh, it's, then we're starting to get back to normal, but the money that they make is such an exorbitant amount of money keeping those guys parked off of the, uh, the coastline and... and you know, it's just more, more stuff, more uh, big money, more of Big Brother, more of all the stuff that that makes us, you know, um, struggle so hard. And I, I like to document that struggle in the record. There's a lot of uh, s stuff like my weird, twisted way of giving advice, and and there's only a couple of songs in there that were not real experiences. Do what are the origins of the coming off of Dystopia? The material on this record. When did you first start thinking about making this record? How many years back does it go? Well, uh, you know, I met Kiko in, in 2016. Was it 2016, 2015? 2015. 15, 15. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's longer than it's been. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Kiko is smiling for those in radio land. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling too. So, uh, you know, we a lot of the riffs that we did on Dystopia, if they weren't uh, the right riff for a song at the time, it either went away forever or it was uh, archived. And I have a bunch of drives at my house that have uh, guitar riffs from all the way back in the very beginning. And, and you know, some of it is stuff that was recorded on micro cassettes, 
Some of it was me calling up my phone at night next to my bed and going, my wife wakes up and she sees me and it's just like the fucking insurance commercial. Who's Gary? <laughs> Is Gary wearing slacks? No, honey, he's, he's not. He's really, naked. <laughs> really, honey, I'm just writing songs. That's really what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but I really did that. And, and so the, the stockpile of riffs are many and the beauty of it was we would just go listen to stuff and pick up the stuff we liked and then Kiko would say, oh, I got something that kind of would work with that. And, and once we got in the studio and uh, started assembling all the parts, it was kind of like metal Lego. Um, we uh, realized there were a couple parts that needed to be written on the spot and, and some of those were parts that Kiko and I would come up with our our uh, producer uh, who co-produced the record with me. is a gentleman named Chris Rickstar was here earlier, and Chris makes suggestions too. He's very knowledgeable about my guitar style and and how to coax a better performance out of me. Um, and now that James is back, unfortunately, he returned after the songwriting and the recording was done. But you know, he. he, he He's already got a track record with us that's proven of great playing. So believe it or not, we're already talking today even about, you know, what's next? You know, not not what's the next record, but, you know, what's next? Let's keep, let's, let's, let's really go for it this time. Let's not just sit back and wait. I want to I talk a little bit about this lineup right now, but bringing in Kiko into the conversation, Kiko, Dystopia was your first record you recorded with the band, yes. right? Yes. So now album number two, uh, with this new record, I would imagine you having had a bunch of touring under your belt and already one studio experience with, with Dave, a lot more comfortable and a lot more maybe involved in the writing. You have a bunch of co-writes on here as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. Of course, like touring, we did, I don't know, maybe over 200 concerts, you know, and uh, getting to know you guys, different countries, different, you know, um, cultures, different places, yeah, you learn a lot about the band, about Dave, Dirk, James, and then then you feel confident to present ideas, right? That fits to the band. So that's why so many collaborations. Yeah, the guitar interplay in Megadeth, no matter who the other guitar players was with Dave, has always been so important to the sound and to the band. And Dave, obviously, Kiko wouldn't have the gig if you didn't feel he was the right guy. But how has the playing between the two of you evolved in the years that he's been in the band? to the point where it's culminated on this record? I think a lot of that had to do with my being willing to open up my songwriting process to uh, allow another player to uh, you know, get inside that circle. You know, there's, there's my songwriting process and then there's his and then what we do together. And sometimes I don't want anybody coming into um, my songwriting process and changing a riff. I came in on the record that Johnny K did uh, was uh, before Dystopia. I think it was I think it was Super Collider. And I came in one morning and Johnny K was in there a song named song named Kingmaker. Um, Kingmaker was done and I came in there and I heard Ellison and and Johnny K in there recording a part on the beginning of the song. And it was nothing to do with the song. It had nothing, the riff wasn't in the record anywhere. And I came in and I said, what are you two doing? <laughs> you know, trying to explain, I'm gonna fucking poach your song and I'm going to put one of my riffs in the front of the song. 
And it was so pathetic. I just felt so sorry for the two of them. I just said, you know, go ahead, leave it in there. But if you listen to Kingmaker tonight when you go home, you're going to hear the beginning of the song. There's a really dumbass part there, and <laughs> that's it. So the interplay we talked a little bit about between uh, Dave and Kiko just before the song. The new guy returning to the band is Mr. James Lomenzo over here. And Dave, you talked about... Um, a second ago that James didn't come in in time to play on the record. But can you talk about the, I mean, you, you faced a lot of issues making this record, your health, which we'll get to in a second, COVID, everything that went on. But the situation with bass, letting David Ellison go, um, bringing in Steve DiGiorgio to record on the record, and then bringing James back into the fold once again. Uh, how, how difficult was all that on the record? Well, I don't really like talking about him anymore as much as I as much as I I can't. Um, I, I I like telling the funny stories, but I really don't like talking about that part of things because um, the guy that I know and love was a different person, and um, making the change to uh, Steve, um, we needed to do that. We needed to do that for so many reasons. On the outside looking in, you know, there were a few people that were you know, saying that I did the wrong thing, but uh, I'm sorry, I just, uh, for my personal convictions, I just couldn't have that around us. And um, even if it wasn't true, um, I just, I just, I just didn't want that in, in, in my life. And um, when Steve came in, he was a, a, a wonderful breath of fresh air because he could play the parts. And you know, the parts that were on the record that were there, I did an interview recently and the, and the girl says, uh, why did you change Dave's parts, and and I thought, you can't be that stupid. You know, I, I have to change the parts. I didn't say that to her, but I was thinking that, and, and I, I said, you know, first off, the majority of the bass on the record, I played, and it's demo tracks. We didn't have uh, all the record recorded yet. When I was in my studio with Chris Rakestraw, I'm writing the guitar parts, I picked up the bass and plunked along with it. I mean, it wasn't terrific, but it, it was the, the parts. So when uh, when anybody came in to record the parts, whether it was Steve or, or Dave, the parts were already written and, and uh, recorded. So um, <clears throat> the, the part about jo uh, Giorgio coming in, um, it, it was cool because there was just so much bad going on at the time. It just seemed like the record was going to keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed. But, you know, I believe there's a spiritual vacuum in my life and that whenever things get really bad, there's a breakthrough ready to happen. And, and, I, and I know that when things get bad like that, it's, it's kind of a challenge from the universe to see if I'm going to stop living my life um, uh, on the right side of things. You know, if I'm going to start um, trying to force things to happen again. Um, and, and that's, that's not who I am anymore. I, I think right now we're, we're sitting on, on, uh, some of the best years ahead of us ever. I mean, I feel great. I think I'm playing really well. My relationships with uh, most of the people in my life are, are really doing good. And, and I think that, uh, the band's, uh, trajectory has just continued to go upward. Well, as people can hear, and they just heard Trust, and you're going to hear some more Megadeth played for us live exclusively here on Trunk Nation. I mean, the band sounds unbelievable. James, I want you to jump in here. Uh, full disclosure, James and I are old, old friends. We go back to like 86 uh, together. We go way, way back. But for people that don't know, prior to joining, rejoining Megadeth, James, you were playing with John Fogarty. 
who is an ale- a legend, of course, in his own right, but I imagine quite a change to go from playing with Fogarty to getting back into this world playing metal with Megadeth. Well, I, I did a number of things along with playing with John Fogarty, but John Fogarty was a, a gig that, you know, came up every weekend, if not two weeks at a time. So, you know, I'd run out and do that. But the, the main thing about that is... Um, when when Dave called up and 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 asked, you know, you, you know, we we'd, we'd love you to come back to uh, to Megadeth and and help us get through this tour that's coming up. Um, I had a lot of trepidation because you know my gig there was kind of staying in one place and kind of playing half tempo stuff for quite some time. So you know, I had to actually put up an old YouTube video of, of something we did in San Diego and took a look. And I remember being kind of shocked and going, "Oh my God, I've got to." get on that horse again okay here we go saddle up partner you know so um yeah but uh, man i gotta tell you you know what i'm feeling younger now than i have in the last nine years you know metals just kicked me right in the ass and and playing with these stallions you know here we go it's it's just amazing it really is i i think that this is got to be the strongest Megadeth band. I'm not talking about, you know, musical performance, even though they all have that, but just as far as just like a bulldozer coming at you, I, I think you, you know, if you've seen us in concert lately or after that last song, you'll, you'll see, like, this is, these guys are thoroughbreds, each and every one. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the previous time <laughs> that you were in Megadeth, was, Dirk wasn't the drummer, right? Did you play, was Dirk? I played with um, um, Sean Drover. Right, so... So, Dirk, what's it like working with James now coming in as a bit? I mean, you guys got to be locked in, obviously, bass and drums. We have no choice, man, you know. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, I mean, James, it was it was instant. Like from the, I remember, actually, the first time James came around, we had a little bit of time before the first rehearsal to just kind of do the drum and bass thing, you know, the, the rhythm section thing. And it was just like, it just felt natural, like from the first song. It was like, okay, this is good. We got this. And that's just, you know, all the experience, all the years of doing what he's done and having been in Megadeth before, there you go. Yeah. Is it like getting on a bike, James? You it don't is like it? falling off that favorite bike of yours. <laughs> it really is. Um, the same, I mean, I'll, I'll expand on that. You know, we got in the studio and, you know, we were going to, you know, he was on the platform, you know, and I looked up and said, all right, let's, you know, let's do Holy Wars. And, like, and I was like, what the, f-? you know, and I looked up and I said, what is going on up there? But... He is such a solid, strong drummer that it almost seems like all I got to do is hit my pick at the right time and I'm fine. You know what I mean? He actually, I think he makes me sound a lot better. And when James says Dirk is up on that riser, he's up there because you're up there, man. You take an elevator up to that riser sometimes, (laughs) Dirk? You are up there, man. I'd like to get one, you know, for the days when I'm a bit tired. No, no, but it's it's awesome. I have, like, the best view in the house. And, you know, and I get to, like, stand up there. And, yeah, it's awesome. It is awesome. Dave, before we get to a classic that you're about to play, I want to ask you about the title of the record because I understand there's a lot of people that are misinterpreting the title uh, maybe thinking that it has something to do with COVID, which of course was done during the making of the record, when in reality it goes back way further than that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, just just like I mentioned with the girl that had asked the ridiculous questions about taking bass parts on and off, um, somebody had said that, uh, was the title about COVID? <laughs> And I thought, oh my God, it's my day today. Um, and 
it's it's not. If you listen to the lyrics, first off, the lyrics talk and tells you the timeline. And if you uh, look at the title itself and you're going to be um, not willing to go any deeper than that, um, sure, it could, it could be about that, but it's uh, probably a little easy to tell that it's... Uh, it's not when you look at the artwork and it's from you know old england in the 17th century or you know 16th century whatever you know covid wasn't around then <laughs> so you know it was the it was the black plague so did you did you i guess it's kind of like when you think about it you name the record people could look at this as not only covid but you yourself with the health uh, scary that you went through having cancer and dealing with that. I mean, there's a lot of, in retrospect, a lot of things that that title could be applied to, I would think. And uh, speaking of your health, how are you now and are you good? Well, I'm still a little mental, but as far as, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the cancer, I'm, I'm 100% clean and, and um, it's going to be three years, I, I think, in October. I think it's the 19th. Um, but, but that, that, thank you guys, thank you, and I appreciate all your support. I, I could tell when, when I was going through this, I just, I felt like I wasn't alone, and I'm not saying there was a magic elf on my, my fireplace or anything, but, uh, I, you know, I could tell. Um, and it was great to, to see how my story inspired other people, too, because there's uh, so many of us that, you know, at some point in our life, we're going to contract some kind of a, an illness, some kind of a difficulty that we're going to go through. And and uh, as long as you have someone to help you get through it, um, it, it's, you know, like they say, a burden shared is a burden lessened. And I try to um, be as, as understanding as I can about people who talk to me about having cancer because my I, I I'm not going to say I got off easy but I mean literal re realistically I got off easy I found it early I was very aggressive um, I subjected myself to the most ferocious program that they could do and um, you know I, I don't really think my being a celebrity had much to do with the outcome because the medicine's the same medicine for you and for me I just I went in there with an attitude like everything else. I'm going to fucking kill you, cancer. And you did. So yeah. That, yeah. that's awesome to hear. With, without getting too detailed on it, I think it's really important because all of us are getting older and all of us have to be aware of things like this. You noted, you said that there was early detection for you, which worked to your benefit. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about what your symptoms were? It may be sure. people listening and what have you that might. Sure. Um, you know, when we all heard about Bruce getting sick and Iron Maiden, you know, that was a scary thing because, you know, I hadn't heard anybody getting that, that type of cancer before. It was a uh, uh, cancer that um, originates uh, on men in the tongue area and in the back on in the throat. So head, neck, and uh, head, neck, and, and uh, throat cancer um, is particularly um, dangerous because all the goods are up here, you know. And when I went in to do the radiation, um, that was that was really a frightening process. But leading up to that, I had so many things um, happen. It just made me so angry. I went to the dentist. This is how the whole thing happened. Something happened. 
uh, got a tooth fixed. A couple weeks later, still hurting. I go in, tell the guy, my tooth's still hurting. We have to go out on the Jimi Hendrix Experience Tour. I'm out there, and my tooth's hurting, and it's hurting, and it's hurting. And, and, and I don't do good with dental pain. I, I don't. I saw Marathon Man, and, and uh, you know, um, I got to be damn near knocked out just to get you know, teeth cleaning. You know, it's just, I, I, is it safe? Is it safe? You know. I don't do good with that. So so I went to the oral surgeon because the dentist said I can't find anything. And I go on and I'm seeing the oral surgeon. He checks me out. He goes in the next room. And I swear, it was probably around 20 to 30 minutes before I got up. And I, I was like, dude, what's up with you? Come on. And he, and he goes, oh, I'll be right in. And I, I go back and I sit down. He comes in. He goes, oh, you got the big C. Just and, like that. And I, and I was thinking, what is that? Halitosis? No, that's an H. What? what <laughs> ca cavity? Do I got a big cavity? You know, and, and I got up and I walked out to my car and I sat in my car and I just had tears coming down my face because I couldn't comprehend that I had cancer now. now I, I, I wasn't sad. I wasn't hurt. I was, I was fucking pissed. I was mad at him the way that he told me. Yeah, that's not great bedside manner for no, a doctor. No, yeah, I know where his dental office is, and if there's ever a <laughs> giant crater over by the Galleria, you know what happens. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, when when uh, we went back out onto the Hendrix thing, um, prior to that, uh, someone had looked and said, no, you're fine. So I went in there really, uh, you know, just fat, dumb, and happy. Ah, what's in my mouth? Cancer. So when we went to go see the doctors, they gave me 31 doses of uh, radiation and nine doses of chemotherapy. And um, they were really, really, really close together. And the tumor was on this side. The two lymph nodes down here were both uh, affected by it. And it's only supposed to be one. So there were all kinds of weird anomalies, uh, anomalies happening. Um, and uh, probably the hardest part of it was just getting the mask. When they put you into the radiation uh, the machine, you have to have your head locked down because if they're using a laser to melt stuff inside of your body and you're going like this, you're, you're better off not even going. So I'm sitting in there and, and I'm freaking out because I have claustrophobia. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, is that the machine that goes, eh, 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 when you go in there for a CAT scan? MRI, or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't know what it was going to do. And um, they get this mask thing and get it all wet. It's this plastic material. And they slopped it on my face and laid me back and clamped it all down. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, what are you, what, what are you guys doing? What, what, how long is this going to take? And they go, oh, 15 minutes. I'm saying, 15 what? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I feel the strip of water go, blink, right into my ear hole. And it was like Chinese water torture. I, I, I was dying. I said, you have to get me out of here. So the next time I went back, uh, fortunately, they had a different approach. And everything after that was great. The side effects were terrible. Um, you know, I, my mouth is, is badly damaged. I, I can't eat spicy stuff anymore. And I loved spicy stuff. And, um, you know, wasabi, hot sauce, all that stuff, done. Um, and uh, there's, there's other, other stuff that comes along with it too but you know i'm still here i think I, I made i think i made the best record of my career at this point it's 60 years old to be writing music like this it's 
it's uh, quite a stretch because I think about some of my other peers, like you know Tony and and uh, some of the other guys that are a little bit older, and and think about their their guitar playing. Think about the guys I know that have gotten sick, like Glenn, and uh, um, he's got Parkinson's, right? Who's this? Tipton. Yes. Yeah, it was Parkinson's. Yes, right? yeah, Parkinson's. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. We saw him at the uh, show in Barcelona. It was or San Sebastian. It was was it? It was Barcelona. Yeah, I can't said that like three times today. Um, yeah. So getting detecting it early and getting on it was great. You guys and men, if you're if you're uh, if you're getting up in age, they say forty five years older or older, you need to start getting yourself checked out. But I think that the ladies here too should you know be proactive. There's a lot of stuff in the environment, in the air, in the water, in our food, and um, it's it's getting harder every day for us to to get the nutrients that we need in our food. So if you have a good relationship with your doctor, go go, you know, get a f physical, get a checkup, make sure you don't have something dormant in your life lying there. I was lucky because I had insurance. If I didn't have insurance, Megadeth would probably be over. Mm. Uh, real quick on this, Dave, one, one other thing. Did it impact your singing at all? Because having just heard you sing, it, you sound great, but you mentioned Bruce Dickinson, who also went through this, and I saw Bruce sing a, a two-hour set, and he had told me his only issue was he kept getting dry. He had to have dry. water, Absolutely. bottles of water all over the stage. So much, yeah. Is that the same yeah. issue I wake you? up in the part of the, I, you know, to go along with the my happy dose of claustrophobia, I developed insomnia, too. So I can't sleep more than uh, about an hour and a half to three hours at a shake, and, and it's usually because I'll be sleeping and... and I'll just start mouth breathing, and then everything gets so dry, I actually wake up because I can't swallow, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm feeling that. So I have to take medicine for that, and we have uh, special gum, and, and there's yeah drinks everywhere. Um, so that's one of the things. When they, when they nuke your mouth, all those little saliva glands that are in there all die off, and, and they may return. They may, but probably don't. And for me, it, they haven't, so... But I, I see progress every day, Eddie, because when I first uh, finished my treatment, that was my my stepping off point where I started to measure things. I, I was having the worst memory issues. I couldn't remember. I would start talking and I wouldn't. I couldn't remember what I was talking about. Mm. So it, it was really hard. But uh, I got through it, and it was it, you know, like I said, just please go get checked up if you think you need it. Yeah, it's important for everybody to know that, especially as we all get older. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Of course, we've got all four members of Megadeth here. Their amazing new album is out this Friday, or as I've been saying, very likely already, if you are hearing this, uh, go pick it up. It is just an incredible record. Now, from that record, at the time we're doing this, there are three songs already released, two of which have very elaborate, very intense, amazing music videos. I'm assuming a third one, It's a. it seems like it's a sequence that's being rolled out. Dave, can you talk about the videos a little bit and uh, the concept behind them? Well, the third song that's been released was Soldier On. Mm-hmm. Soldier On was going to be the first track that was going to be released, period. And we had uh, the opportunity to work with this fascinating uh, director down in Brazil, and uh, his producer is, is one of our staff, and and we uh, had done the Conquer or Die and Lying in State video on the last record, and I loved their work so much. When the opportunity came to do a video again with these guys, I said, "Yeah, I want you to do three of them," and I have this idea. So we started talking about telling the story and having it in a book, uh, book form, and. Part one is the first three songs, part two is the second three songs, and, and so on. I don't know if we were going to go any further than that, but the first part has the two songs that you've already seen, uh, We'll Be Back and Night Stalker, and the third song from part one will be uh, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. Uh, Soldier On came out on its own as our approach towards radio, and, and these other tracks weren't really supposed to have seen the light of day yet. But the reaction to that first track kind of kind of milked out the, uh, the the songs and made them come a little early. You know, was, I think that uh, the the way things are lined up with the schedule, Soldier On is number six. I think it's the closing track in the in the uh, in the book. But again, you know, you never know. There might be a part three. We touched on just before the break music videos. And, um, you know, Dave, long before you played with any of the three guys you're playing with now, music video was such a huge part of Megadeth's story. The early days of MTV, you were a staple on MTV, so many iconic music videos. When, when you were first approached about doing music videos very early on, did you embrace the concept? It seems like you did, judging by the quality of the work. But were you, were you into doing videos, or did you go into it initially reluctantly? You know, when we first started Megadeth, um, <clears throat> MTV was... It was still a music channel, and uh, I was watching it ever since they had Pat Benatar and the and the Buggles and uh, even Iron Maiden, a lot of Thirty Eight Special, um, Triumph you know, and Billy Squire. Yeah, 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 a lot of yeah. songs that you know you wouldn't see played anywhere anymore. But um, you know, I would I would listen to MTV a lot. So the idea when the first video came along, um, it, it hadn't really registered to me what we were doing. You know, because the first video we did was for Peace House. We'd gone out to Lemours in Brooklyn, and uh, I, I remember us filming. Uh, it, that show was so energized because um, we 
you know, Gar was out there back when Gar was in the band. That's one of the things I love so much about uh, Dirk playing with us because he plays so much like Gar, and and I feel like we've been given a transfusion of all the energy and good blood from the very beginning again. And and you know, listening to him play is so much like Gar. It's it's mesmerizing sometimes to to uh, just close my eyes and listen. So, anyways, about the video. Um, I remember uh, we'd just gotten a box of Nike shoes given to us from the record label at the time. And somebody had asked us about, you know, what record labels were like back then. And, and I feel like I can say this because the statute of limitations has expired. But, you know, I had gone to the label and there was a guy working there at the time. And um, his name was Champagne Ray. And he opens up his refrigerator and he had champagne, of course. You know, good thing it wasn't, you know, Ray with little children. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then um, we uh, we got um, this box of shoes. And I thought, this can't get any more bizarre. We go to the next office, and the guy opens up his desk, and there's lines of blow. And, and I thought, all right, now, this is like totally Willy Wonka here. And, and um, so so that was a really weird period when, when a lot of that stuff was happening. And, and going to um, make videos, uh, we, were, we were just like, uh, this is this is all like well, you're in Oz or something, you know. Uh, when when we did the uh, the second video we did was for Wake Up Dead, that was a, a disaster for the airport here at Burbank. We'd come and, and done our video, and the next morning, the caretakers of the airport had looked and a bunch of you lovelies had gone out there and spray painted my band's name on the planes, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> yeah, that really messed with the band's insurance for quite some time. But it looked good on the planes, I gotta say. <laughs> you, had, you had a private jet before you even knew you had one, right? Uh, on the side of yes. the plane. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about uh, filming P-Cells at Lemoore's in Brooklyn. James may have painted the walls. He may have been working at Lemoore's that day. Yeah, he was probably. Because <laughs> <laughs> James grew up coming out of that club, too, yeah. as a member of White Lion back yeah. in the day. The Book of Job. <laughs> Uh, our friends George and Mike Parente and the yeah, whole oh, Lamore yeah, crew. Yeah. Those were some great memories back then. They had some great memories of Megadeth. They used to tell us the tale of how you guys just destroyed the place. But James, how did they pronounce Megadeth? They didn't say Megadeth. It's Megadeth. There you go. <laughs> Megadeth is playing this weekend. Uh, Dave, I'm interested in how Ice-T had a part in the record. He's got a great part in, uh, I forget which track it is. Night Stalkers. Night Stalkers. Uh, tell me about your relationship with Ice-T and how he got to be on this record. Well, Ice and I have been friends for a little while now. Uh, I met him back when I was managed by Lipman and Kahane, and he, we, that's back when we did the Rest in Peace record. And we were up in uh, the head manager's office, and we were standing next to Rob Kahane's desk. And uh, there's a famous story about the singer from the Nymphs being upset with him and standing on his desk and... <laughs> oh, is that right? I think her name was Gretchen or something like that. It's the singer for the Nymphs or the Pixies or something like that. But she uh, relieved herself on his desk and I'm sitting there telling Ice, I said, yeah, you're probably touching it right now. 
Um, but then, you know, we, we talked a little bit about him being a, a ranger and in the military and and uh it was interesting because it was right at the time when when uh, cop killer came out and there was all that controversy going around but i had really uh liked ice before i knew who the artist was that had done the song he did he'd done the song colors and uh i thought that was a great song it was so good six in the morning's another great song too um but uh when He'd asked me if I would do something um, on a song called Civil War on their last record. And, 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 I, and I know we did something together before that. It just skips my mind right now. And then um, after the Civil War track, um, I sang, I played on that, and I wrote a little bit of, of the lyric on that. Um, it, it became clear to us from Night Stalker we needed a voiceover that was going to be really a uh, commandeering kind of scary voice like we had on Captive Honor. Um, and and I, I, I was thinking, you know, who can I get that would have an, uh, a voice that sounds like, in my mind, this is the character. Lou Gossett Jr. from Officer and a Gentleman, right after Richard Gere got kicked in the balls and said, I have nowhere else to go. Um, uh, that's the guy that I wanted to to be, you know, yelling, you know, get ready, bitches. I got locked and loaded. And, and uh, so um, when it came back, it was absolutely perfect. He asked me if I wanted him to sing it, and I said, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I, I want you to be like Colonel Kretz from, from Apocalypse Now. You know, just that disturbed dude. You know? And he's got such an identifiable voice, and he's in the video, too. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. you got him to be in the video, which is really cool. Yeah. Spe speaking of videos, before we get to another song, you know, when I was talking about classic videos a second ago, I saw everybody else in the band kind of smile. And I'm curious, starting with you, Dirk, on the end, when was the first time that you saw or heard Megadeth and Dave's music? Like, when were you first exposed to it? Was it a video or a song? When did you first hear Megadeth or see them? Um, I was living in France at the time. Um, I was about... 14 or 15 years old, and I went to this little, I remember this really well, I went to this little kind of like market that's, you know, down the street in this little town where I lived outside of Paris, and there was a guy that had a few records, you know, so I went through them and like, oh, like, you know, at the time you would buy records just based on the cover. It wasn't like, you know, yeah. you'd heard the band on YouTube or Spotify because none of that was around, so, so, and I just saw this, you know, this amazing cover of P-Cells, right, like this, this mesmerizing piece of art, and I was like, okay, taking that one, you know, and that was my, that was my first time hearing Megadeth and I was a fan like from Wake Up Dead that's it boom and Kiko you being from Brazil what was uh, what was the first introduction for you there what's uh, the music video Peace House yeah and uh, but in 92 right 92 Rock in Rio 92 I I was there in the crowd <laughs> like watching them playing uh, Peace House tour right and uh, yeah the Painkiller uh, with Judas Priest um, Megadeth, Judas Priest, was Guns N' Roses, right? Same night, yeah. Yeah, it was my experience to <laughs> be there. Like, it was an amazing concert, yeah, for sure. And James, what about you? Do you remember your first uh, Megadeth? Well, it was definitely the uh, MTV video um, of, uh, of Peace Cells, without a doubt. And I, I just loved that song when I heard it because I couldn't place what it was supposed to be. Because to me, it, it, it had this great punk edge to it, which, you know, didn't sound familiar to me. Like, you know, bands like Iron Maiden wouldn't even go in that direction. So it was really intriguing to me. But the one interesting thing is like at Lemoore, I don't know if you remember this, but before like the headlining band had come on, they'd always play the whole intro to In My Darkest Hour until the band was ready to go. 
And it was so funny because when I joined the band, um, you know, go, yeah, you know, a lot of these songs, I said, oh, I probably know about four or five of them, you know, and I'm going to just jump all over this. This is years ago. Um, as soon as I heard that, I'd go, oh, I totally know this one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was either that or except Walls to the Wall. Those are always the two songs. That's right. That's right. Yeah. One or the other before. But the that was far out. more elaborate than yes. Walls to the Wall. Yeah, with, sure. with, without question, without question. All right, so we're going to get one more song in here, and this is a, a song from the new album, and it was the lead track that we got from the new record. And at the time we're doing this, you guys, uh, Dave, you're currently on tour with Five Finger Death Punch. And I know you just worked this song into the set. Can you talk a little bit about We'll Be Back? It's an unbelievably blazing, ripping song. Uh, tackling this and doing it live for the first time the other day, right? Is, is when you yes, did it? yes. It's a difficult song to play because uh, the guitar playing and singing, it's... <laughs> you know, it's a left brain, right brain thing. And, you know, when you do this... You know, you gotta separate your brain from one side to the other. So I'm, I'm singing and I'm playing, and I'm, I'm singing a line, and this line ends. The next line starts while it kind of steps on it. So there's a little overhang, and then there's a little bit of an anticipation with each line. So I've got to sing it very quick, very quickly, and then the time in between the last word and uh, the line and the first word of the next line has to be minimal. So I've really got to shred on the singing part <coughs> um, because it's so high right now, and it's only the second time we played it today. Usually we'll work out rehearsing it live, and then I'll try and start you know, working through the the singing part because it is difficult. Um, and usually we'll try and get the chorus down. And, and right now I feel like the choruses are great. I, I know all the words to the verses, and now I just have to try and get my, my uh, registry in the right area. Because, you know, when you're in the studio and you're singing and, and it's digital, you can hear everything and it sounds wonderful. But when it's live, you've got so much outside uh, ambient noise that changes things, so you don't necessarily... Uh, well, you don't get to hear uh, things as well as you would in a controlled environment. So this performance people are about to hear right now is the second time ever you've played yeah. this song. Yeah. Wow. This and we, these songs, you know, they were written in the studio. We didn't jam these out in a rehearsal room for two years before we went in the studio. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, Dave, a little bit about your guitars because... Uh, you are now working with Gibson, right? And you have a whole new line of instruments coming out. Can you talk a little bit about that and making the move to Gibson? Yeah, I would love to. I had, uh, ever since I got my first Kiss album, looked on the back where it says, Kiss uses Gibson and Pearl because Pearl drums, they want to yeah. use the best. And yeah. I thought, well, fuck, I want the best. <laughs> and, and I went into the guitar stores and I saw the prices and I said, well, fuck, I want to steal one of these. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it went. I got my first list ball. I actually jumped through somebody's window and stole one. And, and uh, after I became successful and, and I'd uh, gotten sober, I went back to the guy and I said, do you remember when you were younger and, and uh, someone stole your copy guitar and your acoustic? Sorry. <laughs> and I want to give you this in return. And I gave him one of my brand new Dean acoustic guitars and one of my brand new Dean uh, VMNTs at the time. Totally made amends with the guy. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say he kind of, you know, um, 
upgraded, but <laughs> in a very twisted way, he did. He ended up, because the Les Ball that he had wasn't a real Gibson. So I've always wanted Gibson. And then when the time came to go there, you know, I just left Dean and, and I heard Gibson uh, was looking for somebody and I thought, come on, man. Because I wanted to go to, to them before, a long time ago, after I had left Jackson. That's the first company I went to. And uh, something was wrong at the time, and it just wasn't a right fit. And now it's perfect. I love these guys. And my guitars play, like, just unbelievable. You have three signature models out now, right? Is that right. correct? Well, three. brands. The uh, the Gibson brand has uh, Epiphone and Kramer also, so I'm an ambassador for all three guitar lines. And I have two signature models that we do. We do the... Uh, the v, uh, the flying V right now, and um, the uh, Explorer is uh, the next one we're working on, because I liked taking their classic shapes and hot riding the guitars. You know, uh, the uh, flying V only had 21 frets. I'm the first guy to ever make a 24 fret flying V, and um, it was done by Jackson. So when I went to Gibson to do it, it was really hard. You know, they're, they're an institution to get them to change from 21 to 24, but they did, and the guitars are, are killer. Yeah, they look very cool. I don't play, but I can tell you they look very cool. So I can awesome. teach you. <laughs> yeah, I'll take your lessons. That'll be awesome. Uh, let, me, uh, be, let me get a few audience questions in here. Before I do that, though, I just want to ask you as far as touring. At the time we're doing this, you're out with Five Finger. You recently did a tour with Lamb of God. Looking forward into the balance of this year and into next year, I imagine it's just a lot of road work. You're going to get out and play live as much as possible? Yes. Uh, we've we've got dates booked till almost till the very end of the year, and then we start up again at the beginning of the year. I think we're going down to the Pacific Rim. And then uh, we've got uh, European festivals at the latter part of the summer. I, I believe we're going to wrap up the end of the year uh, with um, one of the new British heavy metal um, giants. And then uh, that should carry on into 2024. So we've, we're pretty booked until 2024. And I'm excited about it because we've, we've got so many uh, opportunities right now to get this record out to people. And, and each time we go out and we play one of those new tracks, people are... Uh, are seeing that you know this isn't a band that the guy can't sing anymore now and and he's got somebody behind the amps or you know and one of those bands that has a guitar player behind the amps you know we're out there and we're doing it for real yeah and thank you for doing that because yeah. that's so important to me as a fan yeah. that's awesome all right we're going to squeeze in a few audience questions with the time that we have here and uh this one comes from ezekiel kaplan who are you in the room, Ezekiel? There's Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel wants to know, after nearly 40 years of writing music, how do you stay creatively inspired? And do you struggle as you get older to keep producing original creative ideas? There's, there's a bit of a struggle. You know, I think the struggle isn't so much about coming up with new year, new new ideas. It's the struggle is coming up with something and not having come up with it before. Um, all the good riffs are taken now, so you've got to really, really work hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I started, right? <laughs> when, when I started, it was a lot easier because there weren't so many bands and, and there weren't so many songs. But I, you know, the good thing about all these bands is they tune so low you can't tell what they're playing anyway. So, you know, there's a whole glut of great music out there. Just don't tune it up. <laughs> um, what was the rest of your question? 
just wants to know as you get older if it's if it's if it's harder to str- if you struggle to come up with original cool ideas. You know, at, at my age right now, I I think that um, part of the coming up with it is is so that I can say you know I, I can do this and you can't kind of thing. You know, that's always been one of the things that motivated me. Like if someone said you can't have this, and damn straight, I'm gonna get that now. <laughs> You know, or, or if they ever dared me or challenged me. Um, we had a guy that works for us the first day of this tour. The first day of this tour, he challenged me. He said, well, then send me home. And I walked away from him and I went, bye-bye. You know, he hasn't gone home yet, but he's going to. <laughs> from this interview, I don't, I don't, he's just found out he's fired. <laughs> I don't know that he's... He will. He might. <laughs> he would be, al- be better you tell him. I'll break the news for you, yeah, for you okay. Dave. You do that. Uh, Ezekiel also wanted to know real quickly if you still have your BC Rich bitch. Yeah, I got stolen. Oh, it's legendary. Not anymore. It's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this question comes from Geo. Geo, are you in the audience? Uh, maybe Geo wrote it in. I'm not sure. Uh, how come you never play In My Darkest Hour live? Well, we do. We just don't do it anymore. Um, we, it depends on how long the set is. You know, we're playing 55 minutes with Five Finger Death Punch. I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I did pretty good in math in my school uh, years. And, and uh, when you have so many songs, uh, you have to start uh, letting some of the other ones go. So if we played the same songs every every tour, you know, uh, people would stop coming, and and I believe that um, "Wake Up Dead," "In My Darkest Hour," "Tornado of Souls," "To Limon, these are all songs that should be played, but they've been played every show. You know, how do I not justify playing "Hook and Mouth" or or "Set the World Afire" or or you know, "Killing Is My Business" or "The Mechanics"? You know, there's there's so many other songs that you know I could say, why aren't I playing this? Well. The, the truth of the matter, if you want to get down to brass tacks, it's whether I can reach the vocal parts. So that's, that's really one of the, mo- the most uh, revealing, honest answers I can give you. And speaking of Wake Up, Wake Up Dead, if people haven't heard this, there's a, a new recording of Wake Up Dead that you did with Lamb of God while you guys were on tour, which, if I'm not mistaken, everybody from each band had some participation in, right? I, yeah, I think so. You did yeah, yeah, did yeah. you all do something in there? Yeah. Some backing vocals. That's what you did, Dirk? Well, I did a solo. You did a solo, Joey. Yeah, yeah. I was pre-James, but... I sang a lot. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> oh, you were there? Were you in that in that one, too? Okay. So that's really cool if you get a chance to, to check that out. Uh, glow. Glow. Oh, I'm sorry. Your glow? That's Glow's question. Oh, there you go. Glow. Sorry. It looked like it said Geo. I'm sorry. And and Glow says, thanks for making Megadeth. There you go. So. All right, Glow. Okay, this is um, Christina... Here in, who lives here in L.A., and she says, which song on the new album are you most personally connected to and why? I'm, I'm connected to all of them. I, it's kind of a, a hard question to answer right now, given the amount of time we have left. Um, there, there are some songs on there that, that have personal feelings, like um, Killing Time is, is a song that... Um, 
is about me um, getting rid of somebody in my life, and it's not Ellison, so um, there's no digs there, but just somebody that I had uh, been in a relationship with, and I just I had to you know get get rid of it because it was just so bad. Same thing with Soldier On. It's a different kind of approach, but it's another song about um, you know, perseverance and, and victory over, you know, knowing something is bad for you and being able to walk away from it. You know, sometimes you're in a relationship with somebody and it's just bad for you and, and you walk away from it and, and you feel better. It's it's going to hurt for a little while, but, you know, you feel better in the long run. Um, that, that doesn't always happen, but a lot of times, you know, um, you're working with somebody and it's just not good for you and and or your business and you have to you know um, you have to cut ties so so that song uh, um, killing time was especially um, uh, meaningful to me I, I know if the guy that uh, I wrote it about ever read it he probably would cry like a baby I mean because you know you know, he's the only one that knows it would be about him, and there's stuff in there that would really shock him. Mm. So, and it's not really that bad if you look at it. It's not like, uh, you know, like in Liar, what stuff I said about Chris, <laughs> you know. But yeah, whatever. I want I want to go down the horn real quick, and, and starting with you, Dirk. Do you have a favorite song on this new record? One that really is one of your favorites. Well, um, you know, it's hard to pick one, but uh, Life in Hell is one that I was very excited about because I, I got to co-write that with Dave, and so that was a, a musical contribution that I was a part of, especially, and I think it turned out to be a great song, too. So, yeah, that's the one I'm most proud of. Kiko, what about you? Do you have a, a, a yeah. one or two favorite moments? Yeah, like Dirk, the ones I co-wrote with Dave, uh, We'll Be Back, or Night Stalkers. But for me, like uh, Dogs, Chernobyl, because it was the first song, Right, it was I think it was the first concept I remember you telling me about the story. Yeah, and then uh, it's like when I saw the song was done, it's like yeah, that's a good one. It was a the perfect start for the album. Yeah. And James, are you up to speed on being able to play everything that they yeah, might yeah, throw at you from the record? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, but I, I have a unique perspective because I, I kind of came into this as a fan because I got to hear the whole record before it was even mastered. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love Night Stalkers. I like Mission to Mars. A really quirky song. I think it's a very cool song. Uh, this next question is from uh, Christian Aleva. I hope I'm saying that right. Glendora, California. Uh, Christian wants to know, with COVID-19 affecting the world, do you see a future for the Mega Cruise Part 2? Now, of course, Mega Cruise is a cruise that I hosted that unfortunately... Dave was unable to actually be on because you were in the in the battle your your battle with cancer. So more than understandable that you couldn't be there. But would you like to do a, a mega cruise now that hopefully COVID is more behind us and you're healthy? Yeah. Well, you know, you figure there are other things besides COVID on cruises. So right. as long as it's a, as long as it's a healthy cruise, you know, because I mean, people get fucking Legionnaires disease and, and all that other kind of stuff out there. You know, how many times do you see these boats have been uh, damn near shipwrecked offshore because they've got a bunch of zombies walking around on deck? <laughs> You know, it's, it's, you know, that's not for me. If it's a, if it's like the line that we used, we really, really tried to use a, a good boat. It was a special, uh, um, it was a special event, and, and I wanted so bad to be there. 
and everybody had such a great time from what I, I hear. Uh, will there we be missed a, you, but we had a good time. Thank yeah. you. The, the, the quick answer is yes, there'll be another one at some point. Right now we're talking about it, but we're trying to figure, should it be, should it be uh, another thing in the West Coast? Should it be something on the East Coast? Should it be something up by Alaska? Should it be something going through all of the rivers in Europe? You know, uh, the only problem about Europe is the only cruise liners I've seen are those stupid little fucking Viking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The little little uh, uh, what do they call those things? They're like the things it's like in, a paddle in boat Holly, or something. In, cars? in uh, Holland. What are those? Drag cars? Are you talking about the Viking ships? Well, the little ones. Well, the Viking like the, ships are kind like of the metal. canal boats. It's like a right? monomark. They call those canal yeah, boats. Yeah, 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 those. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Different country. This is Holland, not Italy. Um, yeah, so uh, that seemed like it was a little bit hard to squeeze an ocean liner through some of those rivers. But, you know, it, 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 we just want to find the right thing. You know, the possibility of a boot camp is closer than a cruise. Okay. Um, we are, are getting ready to uh, um, start uh, a new plant at our, uh, our vineyard. And uh, last time when everybody came we'd already planted one of the things we want to do now is have an invitation to the fans to be part of the vineyard and and um to help us plant come back and and stay and help us you know pick do all that kind of stuff it's like a uh, horticultural event vacation kind of thing um so so that's that's one of the things that we were thinking about with the boot camp is doing it around the plant which i think would be really amazing because the, the lines live for hundreds of years and and you guys would be able to live, leave a legacy behind after uh you if you do join us for the the plant um and, and the other thing too is it's it's on a uh, farm, so it's big enough that we can play and and you know have a, a good old time. Yeah, for sure. One final question here, and then we got to wrap up with one last song. This is pretty funny, actually. This is Chris in Venice, California, and Chris's question. Uh, he says, "What's the best story about you that you don't remember doing, but were told you did?" I imagine there's got to be something in there. Back in the days before you were sober, Dave Mustaine. Yeah, even sober, Dave Mustaine. Sometimes, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know the the craziest thing I I was told that I did that I don't remember doing was the end of the uh, Antrim thing. Um, you know, I was not really a blackout drinker, but you know, uh, my tolerance was legendary, and um, <clears throat> so there wasn't really a lot uh, that, that I've forgotten. I, I would say that, you know, I'm probably wide open for a lot of people sharing with me and saying, yeah, you probably don't remember this, but um, one thing I do remember was I went to the Troubadour with somebody and I was told this, that I, the guy asked if I wanted a drink and I said, yeah, of course. And um, I ordered a shot of XO Quillacier. And, uh, I, you know, it's what I drank. So I just figured, yeah, I'll have XO brandy. And uh, I walked away, and the guy came up to me a couple months, years later, I guess. He was at a NAM show, and he goes, You know, that drink I bought you cost $50. And I went, Yeah, that's what they cost, right? And I didn't even think for a second that. <laughs> dude, you're going to go spend more money than he'll probably spend on beer all night on one shot. So that made me feel a little, a little shitty. So, um, 
but the Antrim one's probably the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, the record's incredible. It's out there now. Everybody go check it out. There's also, we didn't get a chance to touch on this, but real quickly, there's two cover songs that are included. There are various formats of the record. One of the covers is a cover of a deep track from Sammy Hagar, which is so cool that you did this Planets on Fire, that Sammy's actually on that track with you, right? Yeah, yeah. Singer from Montrose and Van Halen, yeah. front man of uh, Sammy Hagar group. Yeah, but that's a cool, deep track. So that was a great were song. Were you a yeah. fan, uh, imagine, of yeah, the solo I played that. I played up. that song in panic before I went to those other guys. And, and if I would, I'm just thinking, what would have happened if I would have uh, brought this planet's on fire with me to that band, you know, um, how uh, Sammy may have influenced Metallica back in the day. I mean, he certainly influenced me, and I don't know why we didn't ever play that song because it's it's a it's a great song. Have any of you guys heard that song? Yeah. Just, yeah, it's you it's have? heavy. So yeah. one guy. Anybody else heard two guys? Okay, yeah, it's a re three people. Okay. Um, I'll stop counting now. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Dead Kennedys cover on the record as well, right? Right, right. So you've got right. a Sammy Hagar. There's the gamut right there with Sammy on it, a Dead Kennedys cover. And you can get the record in every format, including cassette. Right. I mean, we are going back to 19... No 8-track No 8-track yet. yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. Yes. yes, I'm sure it's coming. Um, yeah. It's great stuff. Uh, Dirk, Kiko, James... Dave, thank you so much. Uh, congrats on the new record. It's incredible. Safe travels out there on the tour. Well, hope you enjoyed that on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast, Megadeth. Great connecting with those guys. I've known Dave forever, and I've known James Lomenzo even longer. James Lomenzo, I've known all the way going back to his days with White Lion. It's interesting when you think of the band White Lion, which I get a lot of people ask me about from the mid to late 80s that I had a very close friendship and relationship with all of those guys still to this day. And uh, when you think about it, you know, it's crazy to think that James Lomenzo, the bass player from that band, by far with the most work in terms of, since that band broke up, gigs and bands that he's played in. James has played with David Lee Roth, Ace Frehley, John Fogarty, Megadeth, now his second tour duty with Megadeth, Black Label Society, Pride and Glory. So James has had a tremendous career and by far the, the guy that's worked the most since that band uh, ended. Mike Tramp still tours as a solo artist. Greg D'Angelo does some things here and there. And of course, Vito Brad has been out of the music industry for quite a long time, but really interesting to think about that. It was great to see James and Kiko and of course, Dirk as well. Megadeth currently on tour, and the album you just heard him talk about is, of course, in stores now. And as I mentioned before that interview ran, you can see that entire interview, and you can see them perform five songs, which we had to cut out of the podcast. You can uh, check that all out if you are a SiriusXM subscriber right now on the SiriusXM app, and I encourage you to do so. And if you're not a subscriber, please come on board and join me and hear Rock Talk every day, Monday through Friday, live, 3 to 5 Eastern, on our new channel, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or full shows, interviews, audio, video on the app. Again, social media is at Eddie Trunk. Be sure to keep up with everything that way that I have cooking. And I'll catch you next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Take care. 
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.